Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Years ago, H.G. Wells visualized roads such as these in his science fiction fantasies. And today, they're a reality. You're listening to The Afternoon Commute. What's the happens? What's going on, man? Not much. No. Are you waiting for 3.33 on the dot to call? Oh, is that what time it is on the on your clock? No, it's a little bit after that. But no, that's I what was... I was thinking when I was looking at the clock. It was 3.33. John's yeah, waiting I, to call right at 3.33. I do. I do everything. By numerology, right? Yeah, I make sure I take my my lunch at 9.11. You take three vitamin pills at 9.11 before you eat your lunch. Yeah, that sounds that sounds crazy, but that seems to be how this uh, how a lot of this stuff works. Yeah, uh... You see that post I made about the uh, decoy plane? It was just happened to be in that book, that photo fakery book, and I yeah took a picture of it and put it on the blog. It it you know I, I just wasn't thinking of it, nothing of it. I looked at that picture and it, it says like yeah the decoy is on the left, and then I looked at the tail number and it said thirty three. I just thought that was interesting that that's the designation of a fake plane. Right. And then the military would use that. Because that, you know, everything is, I mean, those planes are highly detailed. You know, they they make them so that they could fool people from the ground, you know. I mean, yeah. the experts that are looking at studying, photog- you know, aerial photography and all that. You know, because I guess that's what they do in war and all that shit, you know. They're trying to assess the other side, and it's what it talks about in this book. Like, oh, you know, during the Cold War, or, you know, I guess any war, of course, you know, there's always this sizing this other side up and then seeing what you got over there. The Soviets had some really elaborate, detailed, inflatable, like, missile launchers and shit. It's pretty cool. I mean, this stuff's pretty neat. I mean, you know, for what it is. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, it's like, well, I wonder if those are around still. Probably some of them are. I'm sure there's people that collect them, you know, people collect everything. Collect but, inflatable missile launchers? Yeah, that look, I mean, they said that Soviets had some that were so spot on that they, you could get, you could walk up to it, take a picture of it, and it's still hard to tell. So it's like it's almost impossible to tell from the sky, you know, because they would take, they would take, uh, 
you know, photos from the reconnaissance planes or whatever they're doing, and then, you know, that they have these photo experts that look at them and say, you know, okay, is this something that's uh, a tank or is it a plane, is it a bomb, or, you know, and then the, both sides would have fake inflatable stuff. And there was, I think, uh, right around near Chino, California. That's not n real close to you, but they had a big factory there that made armaments, and then they had it uh, during World War II. They had it had a canopy over the top, so it looked just like a neighborhood from the sky. It's pretty tripped out. Oh yeah, well we talked about that. They did that in Lakewood by the McDonnell Douglas. That's where it was. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, before, didn't we? yeah, it was in Lake. It was in Lakewood, and if uh, you read that book. Uh, Holy Land, talking about the suburb of Lakewood, goes into how they did that. And, uh, yeah, because I, I always thought that was funny because it's like, well, wouldn't that make you not want to live in the neighborhood if the alleged, you know, Russians were coming to get you? Because <laughs> then they might bomb you thinking that you, thinking that your neighborhood is actually the McDonnell Douglas plant. Yeah. Not that that was real. Not that that was real or anything, but it kind of make you nervous, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah, it's like yeah. I'm right next to a camouflage neighborhood, and well, yeah, if the Japs were really gonna bomb, or then, uh... yeah, of course, that's all theater and everything. But, yeah, you. Uh, uh, what, what, what were you saying about Chino? Because that. Uh... That's where Billy's Egg Farm is. I don't want Billy's Egg Farm to get blown up. <laughs> I think I got the two. I think I, I, I was thinking of Lakewood and I said Chino because uh, oh. I get place names and dates and stuff. Always, always get them mixed up. But, yeah, that would be what, like what, a hell of an omelet, wouldn't it, if they dropped a bomb on it, it Billy's there, Egg Farm? Especially in that whole, that whole area, there's egg farms all over the place. Really? It's, that's not the only one. Drive-through no, egg farms are like all up in there. Huh? Not drive-through, and not uh, yeah, okay. Not not uh, not not where they let the uh, the, let the chickens run around eating worms and stuff. So, but uh, what what did you think of the number five in the Oklahoma City bomb? The number five. Did you see that email I sent you? Uh, when did you send it? Probably. Middle I don't know. Did, uh, Saturday or Sunday? I can't remember. Uh, probably did. I probably missed that one. What was it saying? Oh, frequently asked questions. No, I didn't even see this. Uh, okay. Okay. Look at look at that email. Okay. 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 This this is wild. Okay. This is in regards to your nine hundred one and your nine hundred three thing that uh -huh. you that you and Marcus were talking about. Yeah. There is a nine hundred one and a nine hundred three there. So there's a nine hundred one, a nine hundred two, and a nine hundred three. Yeah, and then you read the reasons for it. Yeah, it sounds it sounds uh, concocted. Ridiculous. Uh huh. It's 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 a bunch of BS. 
Okay, so I'm looking at this as saying, by the way, 5 is the magic number for this PSYOP examples. Team 5, it was on 5th Street, and night, April 19th equals, uh, 19 equals, April 19th equals 14 equals 5. How did, I don't get that one. Uh, building destroyed on 5 23 1995 equals 5s 168 people died which is compressed is 15 149 adults equals 14 equals 5 5 killed outside the building 19 children equals 10 according to wikipedia because it's 1 and 9 is 10 uh, 680 plus people were injured equals 14 equals 5 Okay, yeah, you take 6 and 8, you get, what, 14, and then, yeah, that's 5. Why 6? Yeah, 600 people are injured. Why 608? Anyways, 86 cars destroyed and on and on. McVeigh was executed to help imprint the future coded date with a touch of old, the old on 5-11-2001, which is compressed into 19. Yeah, but the point I was making was they kill him on, they allegedly executed him on 5 11, like 9 11, uh, uh -huh. 2001. So he's executed right, right before, he's executed right before 9 11, but he's, he's, it's on 5 11. And, uh, the, the point I was making about the fives, was um oh by the way yeah april 19th compressed is 14 because it's four plus one right uh-huh april four. is four, is four and then night four and 19 is uh what 23 two and three is five yeah And then if you take 1995, it's 5 and 5. It's 10 and 14, which is 5, 5, 5. <laughs> it's weird. Ah, yeah. So, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, uh... Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder about that kind of stuff because you can, uh... Well, for any given sort of event like that, you can count any number of things, right? I mean, you could say there were 680 cars in the parking lot. You know, 6 and 8 is 14, 4 1 is 5. You yeah, know, but... I mean, you could say... I, 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 you could. Yeah, but I'm... I see yeah, where you're going. Uh-huh. I, I see where you're going with this. Here, here's, the, here's the problem, if you're looking at it. Look... It says it says uh, 680 people injured, right? Yeah. Then it says 168 died, right? So you got 68, yeah. and then you got 68 again, right? Yeah. And then it says 86 cars were destroyed, right? Uh huh. So you got 68 again, just backwards. It's 86, right? Yeah. 
And so I'm looking at all this stuff. I'm like, why are they using these numbers over and over again? Yeah. You know? So it's probably some sort of code of some, you know, obviously. Because, I mean, there's no reason to put 680 plus people, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing as like when you see something in the newspaper and it says at least 13 dead. Right. And that and that tells me that uh, what that that would give an indicator that these are hoax events, because then you have to ex- have an explanation for why how you're able to get numerology worked into these things if it's all just kind of well we're gonna really set off a bomb, we're really gonna kill folks, and then ships fall where they may and then we fudge the numbers afterwards and then or that's one scenario or what would be a more likely scenario on that case where you have so many numbers is that the the entire thing is written into a script yeah probably more likely yeah because we talked about this on this uh there was a the the aurora theater shooting and then there was like the a video that predicted it that came out like two days before by some rapper it was a music video and then in yeah the so that it just so happens that the um scenario depicted in this particular video was uh, a theater with skeletons in in the theater and then um in in the main shot where they're filming the rapper and his and his uh his band or his friends or whatever that's in the theater they're you know dancing around and all that and then you see uh, can I interrupt you? 12 skeletons can I, can I let me interrupt you real quick because I wanted to make a point and I, I we've talked about this before but I've never gotten to actually make this point with you is you pointed something out that I had thought about initially when that video came out and I've never I never heard anybody but you point this out it's like what the hell is a rap video being filmed in a movie theater for <laughs> Right, yeah. Like, what? what is, like, there's no point to it. it. It's almost as ludicrous as when you, you know, called the guy and he said, like, yeah, but it was a it was a concert taking place at a movie theater. Like, why would you do that? That's interesting that you just said that because I, I never made the connection with that video and with the, what that guy said. But it was, yeah. I mean, that, that may be coincidental but that sounds funny that uh that video is out there and it's a it depicted a concert in a movie theater that's funny. yeah yeah but and then that guy told you that on that call like oh yeah, yeah. but the drill was it was a music concert taking place in a movie theater it's like watch that makes no sense no it doesn't make any sense at all but you know it was some it was some kind of contrived uh a plausible deniability that uh, I guess he made a pull it out of his ass on the fly. I don't know, or maybe that's what the scenario was in the whatever the the drill was, or anything like, or or you know what how those drills work and how they're coordinated with. Like if if anybody's like listening to this doesn't know uh, during the Aurora theater shooting uh, that allegedly took place in Colorado, there was a, um, a university that was conducting a drill like right 
within that vicinity, right in that area, of a shooting taking place in a movie theater. And I called the guy up that was supposedly the head over that department that was conducting these drills because in that particular university, they have um, – it's one of the, I guess, top places in the country for uh, certain types of EMT training where they have these, like, hyper-realistic drills. So they just happened to have one going on right at the same time the Aurora sh shooting was going on. And then I called up and asked the guy about it, and he says, oh, well, no, it wasn't a shooting in a movie theater. It was a – shooting at a rock concert inside a movie theater and i said like, oh, oh 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 okay yeah 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 so nothing to see here you know it's like yeah what, really you know that's what he really I, said I, though yeah you can listen to uh, it on on, on, that, on that note um so you guys were talking about the uh the sandy hook kid at the pakistani killing or whatever oh right yeah the 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 uh with the uh, uh what's the kid's name but he was in Sandy Hook and then he's also in this in the Pakistani shooting right yeah yeah no no Posner no Posner yeah okay so um I, I'm pretty much on board with Marcus as far as no agenda is uh pretty terrible I was listening to one of the last episodes and it might be my last episode listening uh, because the whole time. Uh, Curry and Dvorak were bickering on air. Uh-huh. And Dvorak's not laughing at Curry's jokes. I mean, there's something, there's something pretty evident that something's wrong. Uh-huh, yeah. Did you pick that up? Uh, no, I mean, I, I don't know if that's, it, it's kind of a thing where they kind of wear on each other's nerves a bit at times. I don't know. I don't know if, I, I, it know. seems like it's it seems yeah. like it's getting more frequent though. Maybe I mean, I'm, is, sure yeah. I'm sure I'm sure Dvorak's an irritable guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, anyways, on this last show, uh, Curry brought it up, and he and he started uh, laying into anybody who was in the quote unquote alternative media who even dared question that. Did you hear that? Uh, was it the most recent? show they did because I, uh, I it was it was like a couple all. of shows back I, I haven't listened to the most recent shows but um it was a couple of shows ago and he was saying how like like yeah you know everybody's you know emailing me about how this uh this you know kid from sandy hook his picture showing up at you know outside this pakistani killing um uh -huh. duh it's obviously uh somebody photoshopped it in there and it's probably you know a joke Mm -hmm. Right, so I'm like, what is he talking about? Right? No, he. I think if I remember correctly, he was saying that was his initial impression, but then he went on to talk about how it was in a BBC video and how it was in some other uh, this unrelated must, this stuff. Must, okay, you you must be getting it out like a couple. There must be some elaboration on it in other episode. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, because uh, initially in this video, he's saying, you know, like, oh, the alternative media, you know, Alex Jones, they just jump all over this stuff. You can tell that it's, you know, it's a fake Photoshop, and they probably Photoshopped it in. Uh-huh. And I was like, I was like, so I, I wasn't really that interested in this. Yeah, me neither, really. Until, until I heard it. Like, I mean, I saw it on your site, 
mm-hmm. but I just kind of I kind of looked at it and listened to what you and Marcus said about it, and you know, it's not really my thing, right? Uh huh. I'll leave that for you guys to check out. Um, but then when he started saying this, I'm all I I, I want to see what this is all about. So the first thing I come to is a YouTube video, and they were saying how him and Dvorak were talking about how like there were pictures pasted on a wall, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And he's all, yeah. And Dvorak's like, yeah, all you would have to do is, you know, somebody would just have to go up and paste the kid's picture up on a wall and then go, see, look. And then he was, like, referencing Snopes as if that's, like, some sort of bastion of truth. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do that for some reason. Yeah, he's like, he's like, oh, this is on Snopes, you know. He's mm-hmm. all, you know. Like, oh, it's obviously a hoax because, you know, it's on Snopes. And um, meaning, meaning that, not not that it's a hoax that, that they use the same picture twice. It's a hoax, like somebody went and pasted it up there and is trying to make it look as if it, it's as if it's a hoax. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think Snopes says that, um, which is plausibly deniable, I guess. It, it's, it's, it's kind of... It is somewhat plausible that the they had this shooting in Pakistan, right? Which uh, I don't know. I wasn't there, so I, I I tend to think not, but because it came through the media. But anyway, um, so what they're saying as as is sort of a show of like solidarity, I guess, with the United States that they um that that there was a woman that put together sort of on her own time you know she just puts together like a collage of the images and then includes one of the sandy hook victims as sort of like saying okay here's here's children that um died from shootings you know and then like you know but you know they weren't trying to say that he died in that shooting and they just included his picture as sort of, you know, uh, well, here's another mass shooting victim. You see what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, it's it was, you know, uh, which is good enough to debunk that, you know. That's good enough. But if you're yeah. thinking about it critically, either I think I've come to one or two conclusions of that, which uh, – is that well maybe that's maybe that's the case i mean this whoever put that together maybe does you know it could or could be privy to the thing being a fake shooting or not see what i mean that it might have been something like completely incidental to the shooting itself like somebody took it upon themselves to put together a montage of photos and then that's what got used that's that's one explanation but another one is that that was done intentionally, and I think that was brought up. Uh, uh, Adam Curry brought it up. He's saying that this stuff is being put out into the media for people like me, for like Marcus, and you know, you say that's not your thing, but what are you know, like you know, people just that are looking at this stuff. It was put out intentionally for us to latch onto and then like shout from the rooftops, "Hey, look, you know, the the, the Posner kid died," which that. I think has some validity to it yeah. because because um, the scenario that they just used it as kind of like a uh, because you think about it in reverse. Let, let's say if you had 20, let, let's say 
that um, there was a shooting in Pakistan, and the shooting in Pakistan happened before Sandy Hook, and then you had, like, all the Sandy Hook victims, 20 of them, the kids, and then, like, one Pakistani kid from the Pakistani shooting. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Why would you do that? You know? Yeah. It, 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 but it's it's plausibly deniable enough to people to take that and say, oh, Snow upset it, and that that settles it. You know, that's well, that well, doesn't make any the, sense. Though. Also, I knew, I didn't see any picture of a wall. I saw a picture of a lady holding up the kid's picture. So I was thinking to myself, I'm okay. I don't see any wall where anybody could go stick this it was on. on a, it was on a BBC report where this woman's like this lady reporter is walking down the walking down the street and then it's like yeah. plastered on a wall and it's got the Pakistani kids and it's got Noel Posner on there. Yeah. And then I, but I also saw another thing where this like Pakistani lady is holding up a, a bunch of pictures in her hand. And one of, one of the pictures is that boy. Uh huh. Um, yeah. so, you know, that, that said, here, here's, here's another interesting thing on that same, uh, note. Uh huh. Um, that my wife and I have been discussing all weekend. Um, and it's just funny that uh, uh, we, we were talking about this. And um, and I don't think we've, we've discussed this uh, yet. Uh, my, do- my daughter's taken a shine to uh, the Sgt. Pepper's Beatles album. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. And so... Uh, my wife, who loves a good conspiracy theory as much as I do, you know, said, uh, you know, we're looking at the album because, you know, we've got the record. And um, and she and she said, you know, oh, you know, that's not Paul. Right. Your wife said that. Yeah. And you're uh-huh. familiar with the whole like Paul is Paul McCartney died. Uh-huh, yeah. And so so we were looking at, like, you know, because we've got, we probably have all the Beatles albums. And so we're taking out the albums and we're looking at, and we're comparing photos, and, like, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm really going to look at this. And the guy does look different, I have to say. From the early, from the early Beatle days, to the later Beatles. Uh-huh. But then it comes into question as, you know, okay, so let's say uh, that's true, and, you know, uh, maybe next time you talk to Marcus, he can chime, chime in on this too, see what he says, since he brings uh, a lot of this stuff up with, you know, people being replaced by, uh, you know, by other people. Yeah, doubles, doppelgangers, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, my wife hit me to something about that there was they had a Beatles like lookalike contest and there was this guy named William Campbell and he won the Paul lookalike contest and then he went missing afterwards. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I heard right? about that. Uh huh. And so I was just thinking to myself like, okay, this is probably an elaborate, you know, uh, planned out hoax. For whatever reason, I don't know why, right? Uh huh. I don't know why they would do this, right? But clearly, the guy who who is Paul McCartney today, he bears a resemblance, but doesn't exactly look like the Paul McCartney that was, you know, 
in the early Beatles with the with the uh, bowl haircuts and the suits and all that. Yeah, this was a big deal in the seventies. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a big. Deal. It was in the newspapers yeah. like like they had headlines saying like Paul McCartney died and the double replaced him and like, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, and there was a DJ uh, somewhere, I think, in California. He would talk about it extensively. So it, that there's a lot of stuff in there about that that makes me think that it was a a publicity type of stunt. Yeah, and it may have been that you know that that may explain because I mean. The, the Beatles are so wildly popular even to this day, and uh, to think maybe they employed some really crafty kind of public relations stuff and stuff like that, like the people behind them. It was kind of like this test bed case for, you know, taking, it seems like they took this band and turned them into a type of a cult or a religion. Almost, oh, yeah. the I mean, way people talk about the Beatles, it's like oh, they, yeah, we, they talk about them with like this reverence, you know. That like I don't hear it in any any other type of band, you know. Well, it's funny you say that because me and my wife were discussing that because we know some older people who um, are, and and I even have friends who are uh, like maybe two or three years older than me. Yeah, and, and they're into the Beatles. And if you bring like stuff like this up, or like you know that the Beatles didn't write all of their songs. Uh-huh. They kind of get offended because they they believe they believe in the Beatles like people believe in Jesus. Oh yeah, uh huh. It's like it's like, like a re- it's like a religion. Yeah, it is. It, it's it's really weird, and I, I've never felt that way about. I mean, as much as I like music, I've never mm-hmm. felt that way about. I mean, every time I read a every time I've ever read an autobiography about somebody. Uh, that I like musically, I ended up not liking them personally. <laughs> so, yeah, after you read up about them, yeah. Yeah, I was like, you know, and so, so anyways, the, um, so anyways, this was occupying our conversation this weekend, and uh, and so I just wanted to see what he thought about it. But here, here's the thing: they leave they leave all these clues all over the albums, right? Which yeah. means, like, okay, that means that they were doing it on purpose. No, certainly, yeah. I, I think there's a lot to that idea, yeah. I and, and, personally and the, don't think that 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 happened. I don't think that that I don't think that, that it's a different guy. Oh, you don't? I don't. No, I don't think it's a different guy at all. I mean, I've looked at the pictures. People have sent me stuff, and and I've like looked at it a lot, and I said that's the same dude. I mean, it's like you like uh, you could change. Uh, one guy I'm kind of on the fence on is George Harrison. There was like some a couple of different pictures of him. That's like, is that even the same guy? But the rest of them I've looked at, it's like, uh, I, it's just if there's something well, there, I don't see it. The, the the other thing is is like, well, see, see, I tend to disagree with you and Marcus about Renee Zellweger. You think it's the same gal, but she's just altered. Yeah, heavily altered. But there's something about her eyes, like it looks like this, like it looks like the same person. Now, and here's the thing: I know this is kind of a stretch, and I don't have any proof for any of this type of stuff. Um, but I'm not opposed to leaving open the idea that people who are rich have clones. 
They have clones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mean like to harvest their body parts or or to serve? Yeah, as sort I, of like. I'm, a I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm not saying that's real. I'm not going uh, off the deep end and saying that yeah. that's all real, but I'm not opposed to, you know, thinking about it, that it could be possible. Um, it, it's funny, you know, I was watching a documentary on Woody Allen one time, uh-huh. and they were asking him about his movie Sleeper, right? You ever seen that movie? Uh, yeah, a while back. I don't remember much about it. It's been a long time ago. Okay, well, it's all about, you know, it's all about the future, but it's put in this, you know, comic sense or whatever. Yeah. And so they're asking about Sleeper, and he's all, yeah, who would have known that, you know, they all, all these directors always say this crap. It's, it's just unbelievable. He's like, yeah, well, who would have known, you know, when I made that movie back in the 70s that, you know, cloning would become, you know, real, because, you know, now everybody clones. Uh-huh. I was like, what a weird thing to say. I don't know why you would say that. Like, but I'm not saying that proves that cloning is real or anything like that. But um, but uh, or 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 just that you know, like we said before, that people have doubles. You don't even have to have clones. You could just have people. I mean, there's there's tons of people just walking around on the street who look exactly like somebody else just walking around on the street. Yeah, I just ran across something where um, this guy would he he would be he was a regular on the Howard Stern show. I don't know if he still is, but they call him Evil Dave. You ever heard that? And he sounds exactly like freaking David Letterman, man. It's just really bizarre. And I guess he lives in oh. New York City. But I mean, he I mean, if you listen to the guy, I mean, you can't distinguish his voice from David Letterman's voice. I mean, it's so spot on, and he has the same yeah. kind of mannerisms and laugh. And I don't know what is affected and what is his actual voice, but um, according to the what they're talking about him, he said that's just the way he talks. He talks just like David Letterman. So yeah, so there were people that look look and talk just like other people, like exactly, you know, pretty much. Yeah, the, yeah. There is that. Um, well, here, here's something funny. Uh, that uh, personal account. When I was a kid. I used to get asked, I used to have, like, I had someone come up to the mall, come up to me in the mall one time and ask me if I was the kid from the movie Big. Kid from the right? movie Big? Yeah, remember that Tom Hanks, that Tom Hanks movie? Okay. There's a Tom Hanks movie in the 80s called Big. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's a story about how Tom Hanks makes a wish at some, you know, amusement park on a machine, and then he, you know, gets transformed into Tom Hanks, a big, you know, but but this kid, you know, whatever. Anyways, his friend in the movie, this actor, his name is Jared Rushton. Uh-huh. I used to go places, and everybody would say, hey, are you in the movie Big? Can I have your autograph? I'm like, no, that's not me. Hold on, hold on, I'm going to get some eggs right now while you look that up. Alright. Yeah, so do you... Born uh, in Russian... Or born... Jared Russian is born on March 3rd, 1974, Provo, Utah. So I don't have any comparison photos of John. 
<laughs> Put a comparison photo of you and John Ru Jared Rushton. So you're mistaken uh, for him even to this day? Well, I mean, I haven't <laughs> seen that movie in a while. Boy, I, I don't think uh, he... I, I never saw him in anything else. After I saw him, He was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I remember that. Oh. And he looked even, he looked even more like me then because in that movie he has his hair dyed blonde. Oh really? So you ever apply for a job as like a stunt double for him? Or but well, he's not a he doesn't do much movies, huh? All right. Thank you. Come and have a great day. You too. Yeah, I'm guessing uh, his uh, acting career hasn't. Uh, taken off after that because I didn't see him in any more movies after that and people stopped asking me. But, uh, but you know, who's to say that if, if it were the case that, that someone could come up to me and say, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, let's say Jared Rushton became a big star and then somebody came up to me and said, hey, you look like Jared Rushton. Hey, we... We need a double for him, or you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. That could definitely happen. Uh huh. I mean, I've got a, fr I've got a friend. Uh, I've got a friend. Uh, I'm, uh, he, I don't even know. I don't want to get into actors and all that type of stuff because you know, I don't even know if anybody would know half the actors that I that I would bring up. Uh huh. And I just don't even care about that type of stuff, but. But uh, I don't think it's too far-fetched, like I'm saying, that people got doubles on standby. Now, like that Renee Zellweger chick? Yeah. Um, I've, seen, I've seen her in person. Uh-huh. Because she used to date the singer of the White Stripes. Uh-huh. And I remember I went to a White Stripes show one time, and she was there. And she has like a puffy. She used to have like a kind of a puffy face, uh -huh. and like kind of slanted eyes. I, you know, she's well. She's got a like a German last name, so she's got kind of a Germanic, like maybe Eastern European look to her or something. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and and all of that is completely gone with that new lady or whatever work she had done on her. Yeah, yeah she looks that's, totally different. In the eyes, you know, like her eyes, they totally altered her eyes, looks like. Yeah, it's just, I don't know what it is. There's something there, but but Marcus brought something up, and then I heard Adam Curry bring it up the other day, too, uh, was that, uh, you know, they alter these people in the movies, like they do CGI on them. So oh, when you're really? seeing, yeah. So when you're seeing them in the movies, that's not what they even look like in real life, and they're re relying on the fact that uh, that people aren't going to see you in real life. It's it's funny uh, that they brought that up because I don't I don't really like I said I don't really think about stuff like CGI and all that type of stuff. Uh huh. It's just not something that I'm I'm uh, thinking about, but it's funny. Because I have seen some famous people in, in real life, right? Uh -huh. 
And they always, I mean, I, I, I know that they use makeup in movies, but they always look way more haggard. You were, <laughs> the, uh, you were the ice man to the stars, weren't you? I was. I was, I was the ice man to the stars. They Although look I was different in person, usually, right? To- totally different. I mean, I'm sure that I, I, w- I would always think it would always like uh, the one that sticks out in particular. I saw Adam Sandler at the grocery store one time. Uh huh. And he just looked really old. And this was back, you know, fifteen, sixteen years ago. Oh, really? Wow. And, and so I was makeup like, they wear in the movies and stuff, probably. I guess. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, but I guess they don't even need the makeup anymore. They just do it in post production with uh, computers. Yeah, they just eat you guy it out. I mean, like like you were saying about how they did Bruce Boxleitner and Tron. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, it was the same thing too with that Terminator movie. Didn't they do Arnold? Didn't they make him look like a like, or were you were you talking about that on the new Terminator? Yeah, I saw the trailer for it, and it, it looks like it's it's they're gonna put him in there as the as he looked in the original back in nineteen eighty four or whatever that when whatever that first Terminator came out. Yeah, I think they already did that. I, I haven't seen the last Terminator movie I saw was the mm-hmm. second one. Um, way back when um, I think whatever the last one was they actually did that to him then too like they made him look younger in the movie I remember reading something about that but this also ties into something that we talked about on the very first call that we did ever and that was that you know um when you when you can do auto tune on someone's voice, uh-huh. and um, how old of a technology that was, yeah. Um, but something that we didn't touch on, uh, and we t- we touched on it a little bit, a tiny bit in that in that original call. Um, maybe one of the calls in the future we'll, we'll revisit the uh, the music fakery. Uh-huh. But but um, one of the things that uh, I remember seeing is that they can get uh, Elvis to sing any song now. Do you ever oh, remember really? reading that? Mm, yeah, I think yeah, I remember hearing something about that. How how they were going to have Elvis do do an album of song of like more, of songs that came out after he died. And that they could basically make anybody sing anything now through just having a sample of your voice. Huh. And, and they can auto-tune it to have you sing anything. Okay. Wow. So there's... I'm looking that up. Viva Elvis is a soundtrack remix album of Cirque du Soleil show Viva Elvis. No, I guess that's not it. It's a posthumous record, so it's another. It says, it says it's a one in three posthumous record. So there's been like three full length albums that come out since he's died, according to this. 
Yeah, it was something about how if you, if you put like uh, what, what would you type in? Um, I put El Elvis po posthumous record list. Okay, here's his posthumous compilations. Oh, there's way more than three. But I don't. Holy crap, man! How many did he come out with? Ah, this dude's still alive, man. Can't be coming out with all these albums after you're dead. Did you look at that shit? <laughs> no way. This is this is pretty bizarre. Posthumous. This is on uh, this is Wikipedia. Posthumous compilation compilations, and there's like albums from 1978 on up to on all, all the way up to last year or 2013. Yeah, they're probably just re-releasing songs. Oh yeah, he probably had so much stuff recorded; it's ridiculous. Yeah, the the what I was talking about was it's like they would have an auto-tuned version of Elvis, like his voice sample, and then they could just get that voice sample to sing anything. Well, they probably yeah, just create generate it from uh, from scratch, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. So it's like mm -hmm. uh, all you have to do and. I mean, like I said, I was I was privy to seeing a little bit of that technology, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, something like that. I guess uh -huh. this is even longer than that now. Um, but uh, where my friend had all of the samples from the ACDC and the Queen stuff. Remember I was telling you about that? Uh-huh. He had all of those sounds from that record already programmed in, and then he could just overlay that. He's like, oh, you want the ACDC bass, bass drum? Here, we'll, we'll use the ACDC bass drum. And then all of the bass drum hits on on my band's uh, recording were now replaced with the bass drum for, for Back in Black. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can get that in those software packages and stuff. They have all that. Uh-huh. Yeah, so so uh so so you know, even back then they were uh I don't know what they're planning on doing with it in the future, but they had already figured out how to do that with people's voices. Oh and yeah. So, uh -huh. And and uh like I was saying there was a guy I used to talk to, another guy who was uh you know, worked on a bunch of different records he worked on like a record for the Black Eyed Peas. And uh, he has, like, you know, he has a gold record from that, and he has a gold record from other artists I've never heard of. And um, he was just telling me, yeah, you just don't even need people to come into the studio. <laughs> all right, yeah. yeah just you just um, yeah. all you need is to sample their voice. You can even... Uh... Well, it's getting to the point now where um, they're they're doing uh, with this new Star Wars movie that's coming out. They're they were doing uh, a lot of the stuff in a virtual stage with real time photo realistic computer graphics. 
so that you know you've seen the the mocap systems where they they walk around on those um like leotards and they have those uh those sensors glued on them right all over their body like little uh, uh reference points and then it gets captured into the software and then and they're basically animating a uh a, a, a you know, an avatar, a 3D rendering. Well, actually, there was a movie called Avatar, but you know, it was pretty famous for that. But, uh, but, but of course, they did that in that film. But what the Star Wars thing that they're doing that's new or that, that wasn't really done that extensively in uh, the Avatar film is that now it's, uh, it's up to a level to where the set and everything is is on the fly photorealistic so that um they can have the they can watch as as it's as it's being generated they can watch that what's like pretty much close to what the final result is going to be which is uh you know well how long is it before you don't even need any actors or anything sure i mean Just, that uh, that's what that's what people don't understand about a lot of this stuff, and this is the only reason I'm I'm kind of interested in it is because it's um, see what we're talking about is is this is how easy it would be to fake any one of these you know so-called events that are going to get you to uh, think that you know oh you know there's terrorists everywhere oh there's you know Oh, you know, you got to give Chris your can't own those guns anymore. You know, uh-huh. yeah, and, and that and that type of stuff. And it's not even about it's not even about rights. I think it goes beyond rights. You know, like oh, I gotta I gotta have my so-called rights, my right to freedom of expression, or what you know, which isn't even a right, by the way. Um, but uh, freedom of expression, I don't ever remember seeing that anywhere in any constitution or anything uh, yeah. but uh, uh but you got to have your freedom you know your freedom of speech and your free you know freedom to own your guns and all that all that stuff mm-hmm. um but i think because the more and more uh we we look at this stuff and I, i've thought i've thought this for a long time but it's actually it seems that it's uh to borrow a phrase from old uh gw hw bush uh, it's now coming into view. Uh-huh. Is it's all about your opinions. It's all about what's in your mind. Yeah, perception management. Yeah, it's 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 not so much about the your the physical state anymore. Like they like, and 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 um, they've had to spend uh, decades upon decades upon decades upon decades. Uh, doing everything in the physical realm to get you to the point to where now you'll accept anything in the non-physical realm. Uh-huh. And the non-physical realm is going to totally be dedicated to your mind, and that's it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So so when someone says so when someone says, you know, well my opinion doesn't matter. It's actually actually your opinion is probably the most important thing out there right i mean and, and as far as like what it, it, it's that's what's going to shape your behavior your perceptions of the world and that's and that's coming through these screens you know television the computer your smartphone 
all all shape your perceptions of the world. You know, that's and then the uh, the technology to to render completely fabricated scenarios that have the all the appearance of looking uh, real. That's that's been here. You know, I mean that that's that's been here for I think uh, for some time. But uh, it just you know the average person is not aware of it. You know, it doesn't mean it hasn't been and continues to be used. You know, it's that's it's now people think in terms of weaponry and warfare as uh, you know bombs, guns, tanks. I mean, that's how we're conditioned to always think of war. You know, that's that's what war is. That you conjure up images of you know uniforms, fatigues, helmets, and all that. But um, the, the war that's going on now is like that. Those are the, the, those things are just uh, you know they have they have their own purpose in a certain limited you know capacity. But the 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 real way that you subjugate people is because that's the objective of war, right? At least you know uh, you know on a lot of levels, you know, it's like you want to subjugate a certain population. The uh, the, the the tools that um, can man can alter perceptions those are the those are the most potent powerful tools and uh that's why the military um has been heavily uh involved in those technologies that we take for granted as being you know mainly delegated to you know hollywood special effects and stuff like that but all that stuff's out of the military all the, all the the tech stuff that that makes that possible that that all that's all come out of the military and, yeah and you know you, you why know, so you got to ask yourself why why is that the case well the other another thing I was talking to a cousin of mine the other day and we were discussing um, shit I had to take my car to a mechanic uh huh. And so uh, I, she picked me up from work, and she had a child in the back seat with her, and she was saying, like, oh, you know, yeah, she's two, she doesn't talk. And she's like, you know, she's not like uh, uh, my my daughter. She said my daughter's name. I don't want to say my daughter's name. But um, mm -hmm. she said, oh, yeah, she's not like your daughter. And I said... Yeah, I'm all, well, I'm all, to be honest, I'm all, you know, and so, so we got into this discussion about it, and I said, you know, uh, people don't realize, they really, really don't realize how important it is to not let young children watch television and watch movies. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it seriously has, I mean... I mean, we did we did a lot of stuff with my daughter that, um, you know, you could say uh, you could factor in as maybe having an effect on on how. Uh, I, I don't think my daughter's advanced. I just think she's normal. <laughs> and then a lot of these other children. I mean, dude, I know you guys. You and Marcus were talking about this the other day, um, but we know so many children who don't talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's it's like it's epidemic proportions, and what's even more epidemic is that 
there's parents out there. They're just kind of like, yeah, well, you know, yeah, he he's four. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't talk yet. But I heard that's normal now. It's a it's new normal. Yeah. It's normal now. Mm-hmm. Right. I think speech impediments too are are more and more. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's there's more of that going on too than ever. Yeah, and and it's and um, if you if you want to attach, there's something I I had read. I read and I send it to you. It's called the dynamics of change. Uh huh. I think I sent it to you a while back, and it was a it was this book, the dynamics of change. And it was it was this whole thing about television and how it totally changed uh, uh, society altogether. But it went through kind of a detailed account. It wasn't so uh, just kind of it wasn't kind of a um, because this book is kind of an elitist type book. Yeah. Yeah, you own that book, right? What's the name of it again? The Dynamics of Change. Oh, yeah, it was like 1968. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have that. Yeah, he... uh, Yeah, so they're kind of going over uh, how how television changed society and uh, completely uh, disconnected people from each other. And kind of the stuff we were talking about, about, you know, so, so-called individualism, uh, like we were talking about last time. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the, one of the key factors, uh, with television is, and I think we discussed this on another call with, uh, that book, The Plug and Drug, and Marie Wynn brought this up in her book, The Plug and Drug. Is you see, television is a is a genius tool for control because, for, first of all, if you grow up, if you're if you're if you're small and you're growing up, and you see trees everywhere, right? Uh huh. And let's say nobody physically sits you down and explains to you what a tree is. Yeah. But but through osmosis, you just you just pick it up. Right, you just kind of get the idea. You're like, oh yeah, there's you know there's these trees and they're everywhere and everybody seems to know what they are and 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 you figure it out. Well, well now television is like a tree. Uh huh. Because nobody's going to sit you down and explain to you exactly what a TV is because nobody did that to them and nobody did that to the other the generation before them, and so it normalized itself into reality. And now when you're a little kid. Uh, a child, you don't realize, you know, you just, you go over to everybody's house and everybody's got one and it's normalized, right? Yeah, just like a lot, just like the government, just like, uh, you know, all, all, money, all kinds of stuff, money. It's like, yeah, it's so like it's, you know, the uh, what does Alan Watts say? People take it for granted, just like, you know, as if it's like gravity or air or anything. It's like something that's yeah. like part of your environment. And, and, yeah, so it's never explained to you how TV works, how uh, how the hypnotic elements are. It's, it's, it's never explained, and you you engage yourself in it thinking that it's a normality. Um, but what's interesting about it, and what uh, what they've known from the very beginning with television, is you see there is a very damaging thing, and this is why people you know think so innocently of it. They don't think it's a big deal. 
And even after that discussion with uh, my cousin, she still was under the impression that, like, well, I think a little bit of TV is okay as long as the family watches it together, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I disagree with that because the television does not interact with you. This is very dangerous for young children because it is it is teaching you how to be a slave, how to be dictated to. The television is a one-way street. Uh-huh. You are yeah. absorbing everything coming out of it, and yet you have no say. You don't get to object. You don't get to say no or anything like that or, or, uh, or tell the television, well, I don't agree with what you just told me. Mm-hmm. Like a preacher. It's a, it's a preacher. And, 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 uh, so once again, you have another thing in, in our life, uh, preparing you for a life of being told what to do. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You see, it, it's, kind of, and it's the same thing when you go to school and, and, uh, you know, uh, it's funny. Any, anytime you guys talk about, uh, the school system, I had I had a I had this Nazi of a teacher, and I don't I don't mean that in any derogatory derogatory way towards any Nazis. It's just a figure of speech. I don't want to be racist towards Nazis. Um, yeah, but um, but I had this Nazi of a teacher, and he would he would grade you down if you if you brought the wrong pencil. If you brought the wrong pencil, yeah. Uh-huh. He said, your pencil always has to be a number two pencil. Right. Always. And um, if you used a pen, you would get graded down. If you used the wrong kind of paper, if your paper didn't have three holes, if it had four holes, you were graded down. Yeah. Even though any, any of those things have no bearing on your ability to, you know, communicate that you're absorbing the material, you know. No, it's it's do what I say, scum, lick my boots, and after you're done licking my boots, uh, I might give you a good grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, just kind of a somewhat arbitrary demand. Yeah, I, I would... Number two I would, pencil, I would, you don't get the question, why a number two pencil? Why specifically number two? What about a mechanical pencil? It's like, no, it's not... can't can't have that it's got to be a number two pencil yeah yeah and he uh um i was constantly uh getting in trouble in this class um and and that's that's the way teachers are taught how to do i mean i I could think back now and think like oh you know maybe i was i was disruptive you know maybe um i was giving them a hard time um, but I was acting like a caged animal. Uh-huh. Because that's what I was, you know? Right. I was acting like, if you put, if you put, have you ever, have you ever tried to put an animal in a cage? Like force an animal into a cage? Mm, yeah. No. Well, I have because, you know, like, Cats get in fights, and then you got to take them to the vet when they've got a, their eye sliced open or something like that. Yeah. 
And it's not because I want to put him in the cage. It's just because I got to take him to the vet. And, I, and if you take, if you try taking a cat in a, in a car without a cage, uh-huh. uh huh, the cat is going to start freaking out, right? Yeah, you don't want you don't want the kitty getting up underneath the gas pedal or brake pedal or nothing. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that's actually happened. Um, <laughs> uh, Freeway. Yeah, fuck. But yeah. um, but yeah, uh, you try to put an animal in the cage, the animal is going to flip out. It's going to start trying to get out of the cage. It's going to start banging its head on the cage. It's going to start doing whatever whatever it can because it knows inherently, hey, I'm not supposed to be in here. Uh-huh. And so children are the same way. And it, it's interesting, too, like... I noticed with with my daughter, my daughter is not, um, I noticed that there's a lot of kids who like put stuff, you know, in their mouth when they're young. Yeah. And they're, and they're, and they're very curious as far as like, you know, like go mess things up and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like sensory input. Yeah. And, and my daughter doesn't really do that. All right. Um, and, and I found that a lot of other children do do that, like. Like, they purposely go mess things up. Like, they go knock something over. And I always think about the studies about that, um, not that in particular. I've, I've, like I said, I've just noticed that one thing, that my daughter's not really that curious. Like, if you tell, my, if you tell her, like, like when she was younger, if you'd say, like, you know, don't don't get into that, then she would not do it. She, she would just be like, oh, okay, whatever. Uh-huh. But then there's, you know, other children her age that are around and they're like, you know, don't get into that. And that means, that means, okay, go, go get into it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but they, but because they've been watching TV all day and they, the TV causes pent up aggression. Mm, yeah. And yeah. so, so, uh, curiosity you know, it's not, it's not unlike a child to be curious. I, I don't think, I'm, that's not what I'm arguing. I'm saying, like, a child might say, you might say, oh, don't get into that, and then they've got this pent of aggression that they want to get out. Yeah, and so, it makes them more, like, compulsive, like, behavior. Yeah, that's what they say, like, if you put somebody into solitary confinement, that um, it, there's, you know, there's an extent to where it's it's going to make you so it's, it'd be so difficult for you to control your impulses, especially if you're already sort of an impulsive person to begin with. And that's how prisons work. You know, you you put people into solitary confinement, it makes them overwhelmingly uh, compulsive. You know, to where they act out, and then they then they could turn around and sentence you for a longer stint. You know, so it's sort of the self reinforcing uh, system. Yeah, and it's true because um, that's kind of how the system works. Is it's along the same way. Yeah, it yeah, creates cool. the behavioral problem by by just the uh, the way that it's set up, and then it then it it it, it has this built in uh, verification where it's like, well, see now, see what people do, and uh, you know uh, they have this, you know, they're 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 compulsive and they're hard to control and and there's more proof of that see right and it's also too it's, it's interesting that uh you're you're making my uh, brain juices flow here a lot more than school ever did um 
That's what I'm here for, John. Yeah. Uh, Headmaster Kendall. Um, Go ahead. Uh, yeah, the... Uh, see, this is how you can create opposition, too, in, in, a, in an even bigger uh, laboratory like the system. Um, if you want to create opposition um, to something on purpose, the school is a good laboratory as a test bed for that type of thing because you, you know, I know, I know for for a fact just because you know I went to high, I went to school, and you, you, you kind of what what you do is is um, uh, for for you know people such as myself kind of a. I wasn't really a troublemaker, but I got I got in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I got a spank in my first day of first grade. Got a <laughs> yeah, I got I got spanked in first grade too. I remember that. But but anyways, it's like it's like you kind of want you know. Um, I remember in high school, I would make it known that I didn't like the principal. Uh huh. So so. Let's say in a larger spectrum of of, uh, of the world, if you wanted someone to have to to be pushed into the arena of of opposition and be used for the purpose of being opposition, then you create the same type of thing that you do in a school setting where you have an authoritarian ruler, like a principal, and then you have these t- these certain type of people who are going to go along. Uh, to get along, then you're going to have the type of people like you or I or anybody else who listens to this call who's going to notice that there's something not right, but there's a lot of hypocrisy, there's a lot of BS, and then you start making it known that you know about of all, all the BS. But even though I'm sure the principal doesn't want, he, he's not schooled in the art of the grand chessboard or controlled opposition or anything, but in the larger spectrum they are, and uh, the school is a good laboratory for that, where you learn how to create controlled opposition without, without people actually even knowing that they are controlled opposition. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and so, uh, so yeah, you, you have, a, you know, a principal and, uh, you know, you're, jerk teacher who only wants you to use a number two pencil and then you tell him, you know, to go F himself and mm-hmm. uh, that now you have your opposition. Yeah. And it's, it's the same type of people who will easily fall into particular groups thinking that they are revolutionaries of some sort or they are patriots of some sort, and then they align themselves with certain things, and then they end up getting taken for a ride, unfortunately. Yeah, the loyal opposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're always going to exist in the system. And then they do it, a lot of people do it unwittingly, but the people at the top are, are have a better understanding of what's going on, I'm sure, because they, they wouldn't manage things the way they manage it if they didn't. It's like these protests, like, you'll see happening. And then, like, what that does, too, it's like, if you see it on the news especially, you know that it's 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 um, it's something that's going to serve the system as it is. It's like a reinforce. It's always, they're always going to show you something that's going to reinforce the system in some way, shape, or form, even if it appears to be in opposition. Like, 
let's say the 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 march on Wall Street or uh or what do they call this occupy movement stuff you know it's like um they'll 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 but what they're saying is like okay see how this is done this is how a you know so called and it's always this word democracy like that means anything it doesn't really mean anything but it's just this word that always gets constantly thrown around um in a democracy, you have freedom of speech, and here's what that looks like. And they show you, okay, we're going to march around and around in circles. Let's go up the block. Let's make a left on the block, and let's come back, and let's go around and around and around with our signs and chant. And then, you know, they have the different kind of canned chants like, um, you know, oh, hell no, we won't go, hell no, or, you know, whatever, some kind of pre-scripted, inane chant you know and then everybody can you know it's real simple everybody can memorize it and chant along oh i'm doing my thing i'm doing my part you know they show you this is what opposition to the system looks like so if you feel uh you know as a disenfranchised person you know they'll use that word too then you know and you want to voice your dissatisfaction with the system Here's how you do it. You march around in circles with signs, and um, yeah, you put yourself out in front of the riot cop so he could shoot you with rubber bullets and fucking gas and shit. And then you know that's, and then they could have this whole theater going on and stuff like that. And people participate in that because that's what they've always been taught. That you know, well, yeah, I I see things like uh, I, I I as being like un undesirable conditions and this is you know I, I want to express my opposition to it and then you know but they don't understand that they've been conditioned to express that in very specific acceptable ways until like now it's at the point now where they have you know they let you you know you could come out and do that and do your little have your little sign and march around but you know we're now they've got it to the point where um they have the brief speech zones you know, where it's like, yeah, you need to be down at the end of the block and then see the barricades. Go ahead and get in there. And uh, if you can, you know, march around a circle, make a little space for yourself so you can go around and around in circles with your sign. And it's like, I don't know. I, I mean, I just thinking one thing, I mean, wouldn't it be easier to sit your ass at home, get on the phone, and get enough people on the phone to shut the fucking courthouse down for a bit? I mean, that that seems so simple and straightforward to me, but that's... That's not how you do it, see. And then, no, and then yeah. look up they, look up phone activism, and then the way they it, it, the definition of phone activism is to coordinate marching around in a circle with your cell phone. That's oh yeah oh we're turning left on uh, uh, Dupe Street yeah okay everybody turn left on Dupe Street and then we're gonna you know make another left on Shill Avenue. And then come around, you know, it's like, yeah, that's how you do it. That's phone activism. You know, it would be really easy to look up the number on the Internet and call it and keep calling it. Keep calling it all day. And so what what that ends up creating a situation where you shut the business down because everything's a business. Everything's a corporate, a run-for-profit corporation. And uh, it's just like the... It's like the truck drivers in France, they shut the fucking country down. They just, like... They'd stop their trucks in the middle of the road, and uh, I don't know. I wasn't there, but I've I've heard that that actually caused the uh, the system to take notice and say, "Well, yeah, we're going to have to make some concessions to these people, so we don't have the fucking country locked up." You know, it's I mean, and, and that's how shit really works. You know, there, yep. 
Yeah. But yeah, the uh, say one more thing here uh, as I pull into my driveway. Uh, that's why you need to turn off your TV because uh, you'll get this. The way you get to know how to protest is seeing all of the protests on television. And uh, anytime you've been able to see a protest on television, you can know that you were allowed to see it. Oh, yeah. And it wouldn't—it wouldn't even have to be anything that you were particularly particularly interested in, for or against. But uh, there, there'll come a time in the future where you'll be—you'll be pissed off about something, and then, and then, uh, what are you going to go do? Mm-hmm. March around in circles in the street, right? That's what you're going to do, and it's. I'm telling you, man, that that evil TV, man. Uh, uh, the the more the more I read a lot of this stuff uh, that we've been looking into, especially not that TV uh, wasn't dangerous back in the old days, but it's getting even more and more dangerous. Now it's 4K, four times the resolution. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's unbelievable. That's just four times the hypnotic effect on little on little children's minds. Yeah, because your brain's having to process so much more information in the form of, uh, you know, graphic detail and stuff that it's, that just that fact alone is going to make it more persuasive because it's it's matching, it's getting closer and closer to actual visualizing, you know, reality itself, you know. Quantum pixel they say they have now, it's like, so it's we've all we've all been TV casualties. Oh yeah, I don't think we've seen anything yet as far as the way this shit's starting to formulate. Yeah. All right. You can you can do a call tonight. Uh yeah, yeah. I guess I'll do a call. All right. I'll uh, call in if I can. Okay. Cool, man. All right, dude. Good talk. Okay. Good talk, man. Yeah. Talk to you. All right. Later. later. I'm going to read from a book called Mass Media and Mass Man, compiled by Alan Casty, and it is a series of different chapters from other books. This is an excerpt from Of Happiness and Despair We Have No Measure by Ernest Vandenhog, which is in his book The Fabric of Society, published in 1957. <clears throat> All media, mass media, in the end alienate people from personal experience and though appearing to offset it, intensify their moral isolation from each other, from reality, and from themselves. One may turn to the mass media when lonely or bored, but mass media, once they become a habit, impair the capacity for meaningful experience. Though more diffuse and not as gripping, the habit feeds on itself establishing a vicious circle as addictions do. The mass media do not physically replace individual activities and contacts, excursions, travel, parties, etc., but they impinge on all. The portable radio is taken everywhere from seashore to mountaintop and everywhere isolates the bearer of and from his surroundings, from other people and from himself. 
Most people escape by being themselves at any time by voluntarily tuning in on something or somebody. Anyway, it is nearly beyond the power of individuals to escape broadcasts. Music and public announcements are piped into restaurants, bars, shops, cafes, and lobbies, into public means of transportation and even taxis. You can turn off your radio, but not your neighbors, nor can you silence his portable or the set at the restaurant. Fortunately, most persons do not seem to miss privacy, the cost of which is even more beyond the average income than the cost of individuality. People are never quite in one place or group without, at the same time, singly or collectively gravitating somewhere else, abstracted, if not transported by the mass media. The incessant announcements, arpeggios, crooning, sobs, bellows, brains, and jingles draw to some faraway world at large, and by weakening community with immediate surroundings, make people lonely when in a crowd, and crowded when alone. We have already stressed that mass media must offer homogenized fare to meet an average of tastes. Further, whatever the quality of offerings, the very fact that one after the other is absorbed continuously, indiscriminately, and casually trivializes all. Even the most profound of experiences, articulated too often on the same level, is reduced to a cliché. The impact of each of the offerings of mass media is thus weakened by the next one. But the impact of the stream of all mass media offerings is cumulative and strong. It lessens people's capacity to experience life itself. Sometimes it is argued that the audience confuses actuality with mass media fiction and reacts to the characters and situations that appear in soap operas or comic strips as though they were real. For instance, wedding presents are sent to fictional couples. It seems more likely, however, that the audience prefers to invest fiction with reality, as a person might prefer to dream without actually confusing it with reality. After all, even the kids know that Hopalong Cassidy is an actor, and the adults know that I Love Lucy is fiction. Both, however, may attempt to live the fiction because they prefer it to their own lives. The significant effect is not the quite limited investment of fiction with reality, but the derealization of life lived in largely fictitious terms. Art can deepen the perception of reality, but popular culture veils it, diverts it, and becomes an obstacle to experience in it. It is not so much an escape from life, but an invasion of life first, and ultimately evasion altogether. I have to just break with what he says here about art, because um, art can be uh, art can be uh, used to dictate what culture is as well. So he's trying to say art can deepen perception of reality, but um, at the same time, whatever your perception of art is um, dictated by the popular culture, then you're going to be controlled in that manner as well. So. Parents, well-knowing 
that mass media can absorb energy often lighten the strain that attempts of their children to reach for activity and direct experience would impose. They allow some energy to be absorbed by the vicarious experience of the television screen. Before television, the cradle was rocked or poppy juice given to inhibit the initiative and motility of small children. Television, unlike these physical sedatives, tranquilizes by means of a substitute gratification. Manufactured activities and plots are offered to still the child's hunger for experiencing life. They effectively neutralize initiative and channel imagination. But the early introduction of de-individualized characters and situations and early homogenization of tastes on a diet of meaningless activity hardly foster development. Perhaps poppy juice offering no models in which to cast the imagination was better. The homogenizing effect of comic books or television, the fact that they neither express nor appeal to individuality, seems far more injurious to the child's mind and character than the violence they feature, though it is the latter that is often blamed for juvenile delinquency. The blame is misplaced. <clears throat> Excuse me. Violence is not new to life or fiction. It waxed large in ancient fables, fairy tales, and in tragedies from Sophocles to Shakespeare. Mom always knew that her boy could not have thought of it, that the other boys must have seduced him. The belief that viewing or reading about violence persuades children to engage in it is mom's ancient conviction disguised as psychiatry. Children are quite spontaneously bloodthirsty and need both direct and fantasy outlets for violence. What is wrong with the violence of the mass media is not that it is violence, but that it is not art, that it is meaningless violence which thrills but does not gratify. The violence of the desire for life and meaning is displaced and appears as a desire for meaningless violence. But the violence which ceaselessly supplied cannot ultimately gratify it because it does not meet the repressed desire. The gist of any culture is an ethos which gives meaning to the lives of those who dwell in it. If this be the purport of popular culture, it is foiled. We have suggested how it comes to grief in various aspects. What makes popular culture as a whole so disconcerting is best set, set, forth, is best set forth now by exploring the relationship among diversion, art, and boredom. The yearning for diversion to which popular culture caters cannot be satiated by diversion whereof a little more than a little is by much too much because no displaced craving can be satisfied by catering to it in its displaced form. Only when it becomes possible to experience the desire in its true form and to dispense with the internalized processes that balked and displaced, it does actual gratification become possible. Diversion at most through weariness and fatigue can numb and distract anxiety. For instance, in many popular movies, the tear ducts are massaged and thrills are produced by mechanized assaults on the centers of sensation. We are diverted temporarily and in the end perhaps drained, but not gratified. Mm -hmm. Direct manipulation of sensations can produce increases and discharges of tension, as does masturbation, but it is a substitute. It does not involve the whole individual as an individual. It does not involve reality, but counterfeits it. 
sensation is directly stimulated and discharged without being intensified and completed through feelings sifted, acknowledged by the intellect are debasing because they do not involve the whole individual in his relation to reality. When one becomes inured to bypassing reality and individuality in favor of meaningless excitement, ultimate gratification becomes possible. Once fundamental impulses are thwarted beyond retrieving, once they are so deeply repressed that no awareness is left of their aims, once the desire for a meaningful life has been lost as well as the capacity to create it, only a void remains. Life fades into tedium when the barrier between impulses and aims is so high that neither penetrates into consciousness and no sublimination whatever takes place. Diversion, however frantic, can overwhelm temporarily, but not ultimately not ultimately relieve the boredom which oozes from non-fulfillment. Though the bored person hungers for things to happen to him, the disheartening fact is that when they do, he empties them of the very meaning he unconsciously yearns for by using them as distractions. In popular culture, even the second coming would be just another barren thrill to be watched on television till Milton Berle comes on. No distraction can cure boredom, just as the company so unceasingly pursued cannot stave off loneliness. The bored person is lonely for himself, not as he thinks for others. He misses the individuality, the capacity for experience from which he is debarred. No distraction can restore it. Hence he goes unrelieved and insatiable. The popular demand for inside stories for vicarious sharing of the private lives of personalities rests on the craving for private life, even someone else's. Of those who are dimly aware of having none what, whatever, or at least no life that holds their interest, the attempts to allay boredom are as assiduous as they are unveiling. Countless books pretend to teach by general rules and devices what cannot be learned by devices and rules. Individual personalities cannot be mass-produced with happiness thrown in or your money back. Nevertheless, the message of much popular culture is, you too can be happy. If you can only buy this car or that hair tonic, you will be thrilled. You will have adventure, romance, popularity. You will no longer be lonely and left out if you follow this formula. As success, happiness, or at least freedom from anxiety is also the burden of popular religion. As unchristian in these, its aims, as it is in its means. From Dale Carnegie to Norman Vincent Peale to Harry and Bonaro Overstreet, only the vocabulary changes. The principle remains the same. The formula is well illustrated in the following. Warm smile is an attribute of charm. For this, train the upper lip by this method. Stretch the upper lip down over the teeth and say moo. Hold the lip between the teeth and smile. Purse the lips, pull them downward and grin. Let the lower jaw fall and try to touch your nose with your upper lip. Months of daily practice are necessary to eliminate strain from the new way of smiling, but it too can become as natural as all beguiling smiles must be. Whatever the formula, nothing can be more tiresome than the tireless, cheerless pursuit of pleasure. Days go slowly when they are empty. One cannot tell one from the other, and yet the years go fast. When time is endlessly killed, one lives in an endless present until time ends without ever having passed leaving a person who never lived to exclaim, I wasted time, and now doth time waste me. Never paid 
Chumbacasino.com. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.